Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. So tonight I have with me James Patrick Cronin. He's one of the most prolific narrators in the industry today, having recorded over 500 titles in just six years. He's earned seven Audi nominations and several Earphones Awards for his work in a variety of genres. He's voiced New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestsellers, Edgar nominees, and a National Book Award finalist. His audio work has made several best-of-the-year lists, and this summer he had the pleasure of reading selections from all the finalists' work live at the Nebula Awards in Pittsburgh. He holds an MFA in acting and a bachelor's in philosophy from East Tennessee State University, and he's recently returned to his hometown, Los Angeles, where he lives with his wife and fellow narrator, Julie McKay, and their pit bull, Latona. James, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for asking, and thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm really grateful for you to reach out, man. I'm thrilled to be here. So, well, you know, like I mentioned a moment ago in our pre-show chat, uh, you are all over this this genre. You know, it's uh, which is an impressive feat considering how the genre itself is just really kind of exploding, especially in in the audiobook world. Um, you know, you're you're doing the Prof Croft series, the Demon Accords, which I mean, that thing is huge. What is it like? Like thirteen, like thirteen books, isn't it? I think I just narrated the non the non numbered compendiums. Oh yeah, believe, one and two. They're coming out in September. Believe, they're coming out together in September, and I believe that's like the fourteenth and fifteenth books. I think there's thirteen titles in the series wow. so far. Uh, and then the author of that, John Conroe, is uh, actually going to start writing full-time next year. So <laughs> I, uh, I look forward to seeing what that looks like. So. Wow. So, yeah, you, you're, you're booked. I'm booked. I, the, the Demon Accord series may have probably been my, one of my introductions specifically to urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. I'd done some sci-fi and uh, some like other versions of the sci-fi fantasy realm before but I think that may have been my first taste of urban fantasy. And I actually was signed on to do like the first nine books of that series all at once. And I had no idea that it was going to take off the way it had. And I am loving it. I just love it. It's so much fun. I mean, it's like I get to be in my own superhero world and do everyone, the heroes, the villains, all the voices. (laughs) It's great. Right. You know, I was going to ask, like, you know, were you a fan of this genre? Were you, you know, did you pursue it? Or was it one of those things where you just kind of get cast and, oh, hey, this is a good fit for you. Let's let's give you more. I 
I was a huge fan, still a huge fan of comic books, of the actual reading of comic books. Um, my father and I used to go to San Diego Comic-Con before the entertainment industry kind of took over the comic book industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've always been, I've always been a fan of superpowers and the way human beings write about other humans having superpowers or the way various creatures can have superpowers. Uh, my father grew up, he loved sci-fi and I always thought it was kind of weird. I'm like, why are you into these books about like totally foreign worlds until I got old enough to realize there's so much you can say about the, the company that you keep, the society that you live in, the culture that you're a part of by writing about these totally different worlds. So I think the way authors think about which powers certain characters should have and how they use those powers can actually say a great deal about sort of human nature and the human condition and it's fun and creative and I just love it. So nice. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and you stepped all over one of my questions, but that's oh, okay. No. no, no, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I was going to ask like what, um, as somebody who has done, uh, you know, so many books in, in a number of different aspects of this genre, you know, what is it you see that they, that these authors are able to say uh, using these, you know, these, I don't want to say non-standard, but certainly different um, tropes from the supernatural and, and paranormal worlds? What kind of commentaries, aside from just being, you know, fun, um, what are you seeing? What kind of commentaries are you seeing? And then as a, as a performer, as an actor, what are you able to bring into these that maybe you wouldn't in like, uh, you know, a, a straight mystery thriller or something like that. One of my favorite things about the urban fantasy genre is the emphasis on literature as a power. Uh, I think there's so many characters that derive their power either from being a wizard and having to memorize and research and work inside of spell books or uh, coming up against a demon from another world or another part of history that requires like going to the library and looking things <laughs> up or having an old grandpa or an uncle that lives in the woods that you love that has read a bunch of books. So uh, I grew up in a house that really loved reading and there was an emphasis on education at all times. So I love that the there's power derived from knowledge and there's power derived from books, even if, if it is specifically supernatural power, like a wizard, like Declan or Prof Croft, or if it's just some other character that's like, oh, I've got to defeat this 10 headed Gorgon from blah, blah, blah. I better look up what its weaknesses are. <laughs> yeah. So I love that part of this genre in particular. Uh, what can I bring to it as an actor? Well, it's super fun to just be able to voice all these things that aren't human and aren't real, really. <laughs> so you just, the, the freedom to explore other kinds of voices and just try things out is awesome. Um, that does come up against the limits of the human voice often. And uh, frequently like demons and beasts, they're always described as having like very raspy, guttural, throaty voices. <laughs> and I'm like, well, they're going to have kind of raspy voices, but I've got to sustain this for eight hours. So sure. um, one of the craziest things that happened when the Demon Accord series started, I was cast and then I'm prepping the first couple titles and there's all these Russian characters. And I was like, oh, that's that's not an accent. I 
think I know how to do. <laughs> so before I got started, and there's, there was no way around it. It was written very specifically. It was like, you know, Tatiana says in her Russian accent. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, so I did some research, took some lessons and started. And that has been that this genre has actually been great for my acting career because it has forced me with, I will admit, varying degrees of success uh, <laughs> to explore new accents and try out uh, voices from parts of the world that I've not had to do before. So nice. Excellent. You know, it, it's so you mentioned the, uh, you know, the the literature aspect and uh, that that part, you know, that that scene where everybody has to go off and do the research, which immediately made me think of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, you know, like every episode that everybody goes, at least in the first few seasons, you go to the library to do right. the research, uh, which then, of course, leads me to, uh, what was it, uh, the, the Slayers and Vampires book you did, like the, yeah. the philosophy, uh, with, uh, who, gosh, who was your co-narrator on that one? Uh, my wife, Julie McKay. That's exactly right. That was leading into that uh, so what first off what was that like narrating uh something about such a hugely popular um cultural icon as as the buffy the vampire slayer show and what was it like narrating with julie uh it's always a pleasure narrating with my wife We've done a couple of titles. Uh, one of my favorites was Second Mrs. Hockaday, which was a series of letters uh, written during the Civil War era. It was kind of like a Wuthering Heights style fantasy sort of uh, fiction book and just had a lot of fun with those kinds of titles. Um, for this one, what was great about working with Julie is that Julie was a huge fan of the television show, whereas I only remembered Christy Swanson in the movie. And so part of our part of my research was watching Buffy, which was awesome. Right. Um, it's an incredible show. It's it's an incredible show for a number of reasons, uh, one of which is you have an unapologetic, badass female lead, which was really one of the first shows to just put her on put put a female at the forefront of the action and the intellect and the sort of badassery, which was great. Um and then stylistically, it's really not like anything I had ever seen before. It's sort of, it's almost like in the theatrical tradition of like absurdism, you've got these characters that are almost like commedia style where they're sort of caricatures of people and it totally works inside that world. And yeah. I think uh, certainly in the uh, unauthorized biography that I narrated uh, Joss Whedon gets a lot of credit for sort of helping craft that world. And sure. uh, it sounded to me like rightfully so. The other thing that was weird for me about narrating that is that one of the characters in the book is James Marsters, who also does urban fantasy narration and who I'm frequently compared to. And I was like, oh, I feel really weird. Like, <laughs> re like it's first person confessional storytelling. And I'm like, I know for a fact that james does this for a living i'm pretty sure <laughs> that he could be doing this oh man that's that's got to be rough though being compared to to james marsters <laughs> um i guess it's, it's kind of one of those horrible, things right? i mean it's one of those things where it's like um anytime anytime i get compared to somebody that i think is a real uh like juggernaut in mm -hmm. our industry i'm always like well i guess it's great to be in that company um, and I keep striving to be as strong as I can in all my character work and, uh, 
you know, you see other folks that do this and you see their names pop up and I listen to other people's work and I admire certain people. And I think, all right, if I can do this as well as Luke Daniels or Joel Leslie Frumkin or James Foster, then I'm doing great work. And so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. First, uh, thank you so much. Just, just for putting me in that, in that group. I, I appreciate that. That's uh, that means a lot. You're excellent at this. You, you belong in that group. So thank you. Um, so now I've got uh, two competing questions I, I, I want to ask about this. Uh, so my, my brain is is locking up. Um, you you mentioned you know what I and what I think one of the big things of Buffy is you know the iconic female hero there. Um, and one of the things that I appreciate so much in the Prof Croft series uh, that by the way, waiting for black luck to come out. Um, is, <laughs> book five. It is, it has been sent up through, uh, I do that book with the author, Brad Magnarella through ACX and the final masters have been sent. So it's just going through ACX Q and a, awesome. uh, it should be up within the next two weeks. Cool. So. Yeah. I mean, so for people that, that don't realize I, I am an absolute legitimate fan. I'm not just saying that because he's on the show. In fact, uh, it, for well over a year now, I think I've been regularly pestering you like for, Hey, you know what, that, that next book got published. When's it coming out? <laughs> you introduced yourself to me at an audiobook event, uh, at an industry event by oh, God, talking about that series. And yeah. I was like blown away. I was really flattered. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And, and one of the things I love is detective Vega because she is another one of those strong female characters. You know, she's, um, She's not the main character, but she's um, she's not the damsel in distress, right? You know, there's no, uh, not by any means. Uh, you know, she 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 stands her own. She is when she works with with Croft. Um, I mean, she's his boss. Even even if he has to come save her, you know, how many times has it turned around and she ended up having to save him? Um, and, and I love that. I, it, it seems to be a, a recurring theme in, in urban fantasy, the idea that, you know, even if it's a, a, a male main protagonist, the females are in no way second fiddle. Absolutely. I think it's great. And uh, I'm seeing so much of it more in television and film, and I love seeing it in these books. I think you see the same, uh, I think I saw the same trend uh, in the arc of the Demon Accords books as well, um, mm -hmm. where you sort of started out with Chris as the sort of center point figure. And as uh, as the novels progressed, you just sort of, uh, the author found time to find exciting narratives to tell with Stacia and uh, Tatiana. And uh, for me, what's great, now I'm jumping back to the Prof Croft series with Detective Vega is she's... Um, She's a mom. She's got a job that she's holding down. And she's, a, from everything you can tell, sort of a great cop that's also learning about this world that exists outside of all of her police training uh, and handles it extremely well and yeah. thinks on the fly and makes decisions that are community-based and savvy and intelligent within her own power structure, which is fairly limited when faced against, like, demons from hell. So. <laughs> So is this, and because you do so many books in so many genres, is this across the board or, I mean, is it, do you see it more in, in certain genres than others? 
th this idea of of women, um, you know, being their own heroes. Um, I do. I mean, I I'm seeing it culturally as uh, a new storytelling that I think is long overdue. Um, when Julie and I went to go see Wonder Woman, I, I was blown away at the first thirty minutes of that film because I. It was so obvious to me that every woman that was in that theater had never seen that before. It was just women being tough and strong and fighting and protecting themselves. And I was like, I took it for granted as a guy. I'm like, how yeah. many superheroes, how many badass dudes have I known in literature and in film and in television? And it was so apparent to me when I was there watching that movie. And I was excited. I, you know... Everybody deserves to have their superheroes and everybody deserves to have their stories told. And I think that what's incredible about storytelling and what's amazing about one of the things that we get to do here is that um, for me, I learned that I'm not alone when I find stories that resonate for me. And whatever it is, whether it's um, dealing with uh, personal issues, like dealing going through puberty or like my mom got sick when I was younger. So finding stories about kids that dealt with the death of a parent when they were younger, finding stories about parents dying. And those reminded me that I wasn't alone. And yeah. so everyone deserves to have that. And we can, we can overcome our problems and our fears and our misgivings about who we are and where we came from and what we're dealing with when we know that there's a community out there that shares those feelings and those apprehensions. And so it's great and I love it. And I say more of it and I hope there's some work out there for guys too, but it's all great. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's um, yes. Yes to all that. <laughs> yeah. Fun follow-up. I actually, um, had a different moment. So these women, I could tell the women and the girls and everyone that was in the audience in Wonder Woman, we went opening weekend at a big theater in LA and they were crying and I could hear, I could hear it throughout the theater, like just how excited they were. These tears of joy that like, yes, this is, this is being validated that I can be strong and I can still be a woman and I don't have to apologize for any of it. Uh, and then later in the film, uh, Wonder Woman uh, gets introduced to Etta Candy which is actually uh, a role that my mother played the very first year of the television show of Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And I cried before she even introduced herself. I was like, oh, that's Etta Candy. She looks like my mom a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's definitely who that's going to be. Oh, and uh, so I had this sort of quiet moment because my mom died when I was in high school. So uh, so I had, that was another moment that was shared during the Wonder Woman screening. Wow, what a connection. So... Um... Yeah, you, you mentioned your acting background. Um, you you don't just do audiobook narration, right? I don't. I mean, I've been acting my whole life. Uh -huh. I, I grew up in L.A. Uh, I got my SAG card when I was five years old. I did my first commercials when I was two and a half. And um, my family left Los Angeles when I graduated high school because my mom had just died. My dad and my brother and I felt like that was a good time to keep our family together. So we moved to Tennessee. I went to college there. My brother joined me at college a year later. And my dad teaches at that university, East Tennessee State, uh, where he still teaches to this day, actually. What does he teach? Um, he was the chair of the theater department. He's slowly working his way toward retirement now, so he's no longer the chair. But he was the chair of the theater department for, uh, I think, almost two decades. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. He's going to, uh, he still teaches theater, drama, acting. 
So I got my degree in theater. I went to graduate school in Kentucky and I founded an improv and sketch comedy troupe there. And I spent about 10 years touring, traveling, doing comedy clubs and festivals and doing shows in Louisville, Kentucky. And then we moved to New York as a group, uh, did some stuff there, got kind of swallowed up by the city a little bit. But that's where I met Julie, also where I met uh, the folks at Audible Studios, and all of that stuff has started. So, Yeah, I was going to ask, how did you, um, I don't want to say make the transition to voiceover and audiobook narration, because that sort of implies that, you know, you're, you're, you're done with all of the other acting. But how did you make the addition of uh, audiobook narration um, to, you know, the, the, uh, the body of acting work? Uh, that that you were doing. So Julie and I actually met doing a play. We played husband and wife in Euripides' earliest extant work, a play called Alcestis. And we moved in shortly thereafter and we were both sort of grinding. We were trying to find, we were trying to find our place in the entertainment industry. And Julie was bartending and mostly supporting both of us. And I was babysitting and trying to be available to audition. I was doing some regional theater and I had a chance through the union, actually, to go to a meet and greet, get to know the folks at Audible Studios, and ask questions of narrating legend Scott Brick and learn about the the craft. I didn't know anything about any of this, and this was September of 2012. So I went, and Mike Charzik was there, and he was actually signing people up for auditions. Uh, Scott Brick gave feedback and excellent advice about sort of what this part of the industry is like and the demands. And I thought, you know, this actually sounds like something I would really like to do. And I think I'd be really good at it. And I think I'd be really satisfied doing it. Uh, It really marries my love of literature, my background in storytelling, and my sort of personal work ethic where I can sort of make my own schedule and figure that out. So I went into Newark and auditioned for Mike Charzik. So did Julie. And, uh, they hired us both, and I started doing uh, sci-fi fantasy books for them right away. And uh, then I started listening to a lot of people that were better than me and tried to get better faster because I was really <laughs> swamped, overwhelmed by the world. And I was like, man, this is hard. This this world building, especially in the sci-fi fantasy space, is really intense. Um, yeah. And I think to narrate it well really requires a lot of prep time and a lot of discipline. And so I started listening to people that were better than me and I think got better at it. And I mean, it's, uh, I just celebrated my 500th title. Congratulations. Thank you very much. That so, is, so th- by the way, I, I, I feel like I really need to, to call this out. Um, 500 titles in less than six years. I mean, you, you do the math in your head. Uh, most people, like if, if I do 50 titles in a year, I'm feeling pretty, you know, that's, that's like a, that's a book a week with two weeks off. Uh, I mean, the, the, the amount of work that it takes to consistently churn out these books. One, it, it speaks to your talent. People keep casting you. People obviously want to hear the work you're doing, but also your, your, your dedication to just over such a short span of time produce you know, a a prodigious amount of work. I mean, that's, that ain't nothing, man. Well, when Julie and I started and Audible, we were only working with Audible. uh, I said to her, I said, 
I think this is going to take off. I think the industry is going to take off. And I think that it's important for us right now. I think we should spend two years focusing all of our creative energy on this work. And Julie was, uh, she was working with the Pearl Theater Company in New York and uh, the company got into some financial trouble. And so that sort of timed out in a way. And I was like, you know, we need to, we need to stop focusing on theater. We need to stop focusing on TV film auditions. Let's spend two years really figuring this out. And uh, it took all of our creative energy. I talked to a lot of actors and they're like, how can I add audiobook work to the work I do? And I'm like, man, I don't know how to do that. I know how to make audiobook work your career. And now we move to LA because I'm doing so much voiceover work and I'm in the studio a lot uh, to try and do some other voiceover work primarily. I mean, if we can do TV film work, that's great. And we want to do all of it. I do a lot of looping work now, which is background stuff for TV and film. But um, we spent those two years and I was that this is first, last and everything for us creatively. And A, we fell in love with it. And B, we started developing other relationships and were able to make enough contacts to make it our full-time career. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. I love doing it. I also, that number, you know, I work with other folks sometimes. I do in the like multicast space and dual narration and stuff like that. So, but I also do sci-fi fantasy books, which are sometimes like 25 hours long. So I think (laughs) it does, it does balance out. Like every, like every time I do like three hours in a book, then there's also like, I did a 22 hour history of the city of Harlem. So I'm like, you know, it balances out. So. Nice. Yeah. We, uh, we've done a couple of uh, co-narrations um, together. We, there was the, uh, the memory agent, uh, which was just the two of us. And uh, I think we both contributed to uh, aliens bug hunt. Yes. Yeah. I am in the studio this week recording the upcoming predator novelization. Oh, sweet. Um, I did a prequel last week and I'm doing the novelization this week. Um, I didn't know. I mean, I knew that we didn't talk for the alien bug hunt because that was like a series of isolated stories. Yeah. But the memory agent, uh, people should listen to because the book is awesome. Yeah. And uh, we did actually get to sort of coordinate and work together on that title. And that was a lot of fun. That I I loved it. It was very... um... Yeah, that, that was, I think, one of the first books where I was involved and I thought, I, I can't wait to listen to it when it comes out. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't know that I've listened to like a full book of my own before. I mean, there have been times where I'll, you know, I'll, I'll listen to it just to check the sound quality or I'll, you know, hey, did I was I able to pull this off? I was trying to do something there. Did it work? Um, but the memory agent, uh, you know, that was one where I was like, I, 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 I want the full effect. I, I want this full story told by these two perspectives because this is cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think mean, somebody, I think somebody left a review on audible that said it was like inception meets the matrix. And I was yeah. like, how is that not just like on the cover art? Like, <laughs> please, book. it's inception meets the matrix guys. Right. That's, that's like, if you were trying to pitch a movie and you were like, well, you know, it's inception meets the matrix. Yes. Yeah. Right. I funded. I want to make that. I want to make. I want to watch that movie. Um, Get me the two three named Jameses to narrate. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So we're. Um, uh, and I thought about this when you talked about how you had to voice James Marsters. Um, James apparently is is super common. Um, 
and it's we've worked together, James Patrick Cronin, James Anderson Foster, and uh, I've even gotten contacted uh, accidentally by a casting director uh, who actually wanted your wife. Wow. Yes. Well, so I got this email and it was, hey, James, I have a title that I think Julie would be great for. Can you give me her contact info? And I wrote back and I was like, um, sure, which Julie? And they said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I got the wrong James, which immediately then let me know that they meant you. And I was like, oh, well, in that case, I know what Julie you want. Here it is. <laughs> so it worked out. Nice. Um, but yeah. So thanks. I'll tell Julie to buy you a beer next time she sees you. Oh, she thank you so much. Got word to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned this briefly, and I wanted to, to, to come back to this. Uh, the amount of research that you do. Uh, before a book, uh, and specifically as it relates to urban fantasy, because, um, you know, it, there's some weird stuff <laughs> that we have to know how to, that we have to know how to pronounce, that we have to be able to say convincingly, uh, that we have to act out. Um, how do you go about researching uh, you know, like a Prof Croft or, uh, you know, the Demon Accords, any sort of urban fantasy. Um, and is it different than what you might do for like sci-fi or, or contemporary lit? In the, it's definitely, I think, I think all sci-fi fantasy for me is just a little more research and labor intensive than other forms of fiction. Nonfiction may require the same amount of research, but that's because I'm looking up names, people in place names mm -hmm. and making sure that, I mean, I did a, I did a, a history of the Milai massacre. And so then I've got to figure, I have to know that I'm saying all of these things, right. People's names, which you assume, you know, and then you look at it, you're like, I'm not sure if that's, you know, Anderson or Anderson, whatever. Yeah. Um, so for me, the thing that's the trickiest, I think is starting a series that, you know, is going to be a series because you, you're going to continue to get character information throughout the series, but all I have, all we have to start with is that first book or that first couple of books. And so mm -hmm. you, you build this audio version of this character, this three-dimensional life in your head, and then as the author continues to write, that may sort of come up against what you've created, and that's always scary. Um, it also... Has that happened? Like, um, not, not terribly. Okay. I've had... I've had to, I've definitely like had to adjust some character voices as characters get described further in the series. And I really do try to be mindful of that. I keep voice banks for all series that I do. I keep an MP3 bank for all the characters. I believe the Demon Accords one has like 350 names in it now. Wow. And that's even like a one-off character, like somebody that's going to be in it for a minute. Um, yeah, just throw it in there. They may come and back three books from now. And exactly. They may come back. So I put everybody in there, even if they die, because I'm with this urban fantasy. I'm like These <laughs> characters may still come back. Right. So I try to hang on to all of them. Um, the author for the Prof Croft series, Brad Magnarella, he loves giving me notes about the characters, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So I actually get I get voice notes from him on all the characters. This is somebody you met before. This is what it should sound like. Oh, I imagine this guy sounds like this. He helps me out a great deal with that. Um, in the Demon Accords and in other books I do, I do find that the authors tend to write really fun vocal descriptions. So that really helps with individual characters. Uh, in 
in world building, I really am trying to get better at and very mindful of keeping characters that come from the same places in the same vocal area. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, for example, in the Demon Accord series, the author has created a fairy realm that just popped up a couple books ago, and we're now bouncing back and forth between New York and this fairy realm. And there are two courts. There's the winter and the summer court. I try to give all of the winter court uh, fairies uh, sort of an Irish or a blend of an Irish accent, and then all the summer court fairies uh, sort of uh, RP or Cockney-style British, just because I think orally that helps the listener, like, oh, yeah, that person comes from this part of that world. It's definitely helpful in like Middle Earth fantasy style stuff or sci-fi where you're going from planet to planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try on the front end to do my research and put I put people on a spreadsheet. All these characters come from this planet. All these characters come from this world. All these characters are described as having this kind of voice or they speak this language. And so I try and separate it that way so that the audio really has as complete uh a picture as I can paint as the author has created with the words. That is so awesome. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know that listeners necessarily know about all of the work on the back end, you know, that, that, that goes into, you know, maybe something small, like, Oh, everybody from this realm has a sort of similar timber or, or accent to their voice. It, it they just get to, experience it and it, it makes sense and it flows well to them but that all came from you and the the front end research that you did before sitting behind the mic that's awesome yeah absolutely and uh, hopefully you know if the end product is where it's supposed to be i sort of don't want the audience to be thinking about that i want them yeah. enjoying the story and immersed in the world uh i take very seriously the responsibility that i've been given to tell somebody else's story and for me uh, audiobook narration is first and foremost about conveying the author's intention. And so I do the research I do, I make the notes I make, and I train and practice working on accents and vocal qualities because I want to be as adept and capable as I can be for the author's intentions. It's the same thing. Chadwick Bozeman probably did a ton of mixed martial arts and kung fu training before they shot Black Panther. Yeah. And while you're watching him fight, I'm not sitting there thinking, or Michael B. Jordan, who just did Creed and then Black Panther. I'm not sitting there thinking like, oh, he must have trained for six months to get. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that guy's really good at boxing. Like, yeah. I'm just into the world. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I like talking about it with you. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think it's, um, you know, uh, with, with the number of times I, I've had the conversation with people of, oh, my God, you know. Uh, you know, how, how do I get into to audiobook narration? Because it sounds great to just sit down and, and read for a few a few hours a day. Uh, man, it is so much more than that. You know, if if you want to get good at this, um, it, when, and it's like you said, when you talk to other actors who say, how can I add this to my career? You know, if if you really want to do this well, it's hard work and it's a it's a lot of it. But if you're an actor, it's it's so rewarding, you know, um, and not just because it's it makes you one of the rarest creatures, I think, in the world, which is a, a regularly working paid actor. Um, but because there's 
there's so much we are entrusted to to bring forth, you know, not not just one character, but all the characters in the whole world. And, you know, sometimes over a 13 plus book series. Um, that's awesome. Absolutely. And I, I think uh, uh, kudos to uh, places like Audible Studios and um, because I think they're they're really legitimizing the art form of audiobook narration yeah. and they're finding ways uh, where the sort of old timey radio drama can meet contemporary digital audio technology mm -hmm. and the number of quality performers and entertainers that they can use to really marry theater and audio drama and storytelling and literature. And it's very exciting. And I'm thrilled to be working in that industry. And I've never for a second not thought about what I do as acting. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and I have people, yeah, they're like, oh, I love reading books. I That sounds like something I could do. And I'm like, cool. I It might not be. <laughs> it might be, yeah. but it's really hard. And I spend, I was uh, interviewed by another author who came by to look at my studio. And he described it as, he's like, oh, uh, this is really cool. You're sort of in like a vertical coffin. And I was like, wow, that's a really depressingly <laughs> accurate thing to say about this space. Yeah. Um, my first studio in New York was actually my friend had shot a film. She was getting her art masters and she shot a short film that took place in a psych ward. And she was done with her white paneled walls when she finished. And so we took them and Julie treated them with uh, heavy foam canceling boards and a lot of density materials. But our first studio where we recorded our first hundred or so books was an actual white padded cell. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so fitting. <laughs> so do you miss the theater at all? Yes, definitely. I love live performance. I love being in groups of people. Mm -hmm. One, if I had any complaint about this job, it would be the sort of solitary nature of the work. Yeah. Um, I also, as I said, I spent a lot of years doing improv and I, I can't really think of anything more rewarding than creating a show for an audience that only exists in that moment in that space. When, and theater is like that too. Even when you've worked on a play and it's blocked and it's memorized and the show, even though you've got all that figured out before the audience gets there, by virtue of the fact that you're doing it live, every single performance is unique to that audience and that night and that moment. Yeah. And we live in a society now where we are so distracted by so much stuff and we're constantly multitasking and doing other things and we're in our phones and we're looking other places and there's televisions everywhere you go that getting into one space with a bunch of people and sharing one storytelling experience is amazing and it's so yeah. like that's what community is about is the first thing cave people did got around and told <laughs> stories yeah and people would listen and you'd share that one story together so i love doing that um i'm mindful of the fact that audiobooks a lot of people say like well now i can multitask and i'm like that's cool i hope that sometimes i tell stories compelling enough or exciting enough that uh, I get this other comment sometimes, which is like, people will sit in their driveway and wait till the chapter's over before they go into the house. Like, yeah. I can't think of anything nicer for you to say about what we do for a living. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I definitely miss it. And I'm hoping that as I find some balance in this side of my career, that I will be able to get back on stage and do some more theater work. Um, my friends and I, we shoot short films sometimes and carve out time where we can work on projects that we would like to do. Um, but yeah. Short answer there is, yeah, sure, I miss the stage. I love, I love being on stage. 
So speaking about acting, something I wanted to circle back around to, you mentioned that, I mean, first of all, acting is in your DNA, obviously. Um, and you got, you got your Screen Actors Guild card when you were five. Um, you, you have been an active member of the, of the union uh, you know, for some time now, and certainly for as long as I've been in this industry, um, you have been an active voice in the audiobook narrator's uh, niche within the union. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about uh, why being active in the union is important to you? Um, yeah, well, I did. I I grew up in a family of actors. My family uh, for generations has made their living in the entertainment industry. And I, I believe I'm very strongly pro-union sort of across the board. I believe that uh, people that work in a discipline should be able to get together and collectively bargain and talk as a group about what matters to them, whatever their discipline is, and be able to negotiate with those people that are employing them for the safest working conditions for the most human treatment that they can get, again, in whatever that discipline is. So I said earlier that one of the reasons I get to do the work I do in audiobooks is a meeting that was organized by the union. That's mm -hmm. where I met Mike Charzik. That's where I met Scott Brick. And that's when my life changed. I, so I, I feel very specifically that I owe a great deal to the union, and I am very grateful for the opportunities that they have consistently uh, presented for their constituents. Uh, it was with great pride that my wife and I made a donation this last year to the SAG Foundation because they just opened a theater in New York, the Robin Williams Center, and we had seat J110 dedicated in memory of my mother, who was a proud union member, who was born on January 10th. So J110 ah. is now in her honor because we owe our careers in some part to the union. And I am thrilled to be here and to be able to work with a group of people and to work with employers who are open to and mindful of who we are and what we do. I yeah. think this is an incredible industry because on both sides of that negotiating table, there are people that put the work first and put the product first and they listen and they are respectful of what we do and what that means for us as far as the physical demands, the financial demands of creating a studio. And they listen and they meet us halfway. They have consistently done that. And it's great. My health insurance and my pension is organized through the union. Uh, my wife, I may not be uh, in a position to say this, but I'm going to. But, uh, Julie is uh, Julie is pregnant now with our first child. Oh, my God. Congratulations. We are, thank you very much. We are going to meetings and uh, being able to see doctors. And I mean, I remember when I was in graduate school and didn't have insurance and I broke my ankle and I couldn't afford to go see a doctor. Oh. And I had a friend give me her ankle brace and it like didn't fit my foot properly. And um, that's not that's not the country that we should be living in. That's not, and I think unions fight to make sure that everybody has access to those basic rights. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm proud to be able to be a part of the industry that is sort of nascent. Audiobooks are new to SAG-AFTRA. Uh, and being able to be on the front lines of helping negotiate and articulate to employers and producers and publishers uh, what those needs of narrators are uh, has been great. And there are increasingly 
options available for independent authors to create contracts that are really easy to do, that are a page long to take their independent work and get it going through the union as well so that these narrators can make enough money that's union covered every year to get their health benefits and to get their pensions uh, paid. Because every year, every actor will tell you that the nausea starts until you hit that $17,000 to get your health insurance covered for yeah. the next year. Yeah. So uh, that I can be that I can be a vocal proponent of that and that I can help in any way. Uh, employers know what it is that we do and narrators get covered and get benefits and uh, be treated with respect and human dignity, which I believe everybody should in all of their industries. Uh, I'm grateful to be able to do that and take that responsibility very seriously. Well, as as a, a, a beneficiary of that, as a member of the union, uh, thank you for all of the, the advocacy work that you do, uh, the committee work, the phone calls, everything that goes on in the union that you're a part of. Um, I, I think it's hugely important, not just for me personally, uh, you know, and like you, my, my family gets their union, uh, their uh, health insurance through the union. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hugely important, but also um, it's just because I love this, this genre. And, you know, when you're listening to an audiobook and, and it ends with, you know, performed or narrated by, you know, James Patrick Cronin, a member of SAG-AFTRA, right, that, that you know, this was produced by a professional, somebody that, that cared about the medium and and your entertainment and and everything that that went into it somebody that you know does all of that prep work that we had talked about to to make sure that you know this is this is the best experience you could have because they love it and and this is what they want to spend their time doing and and producing now so on behalf of myself and you know i i feel comfortable speaking for the 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 other billions of people on the planet um thank you Thank you for your work with the union. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so, okay, I, I was going to try and push you for spoilers from uh, book five of Prof. Croft, but I, I feel like you kind of dropping the the, the pregnancy uh, thing, like that that may have been the spoiler for the show. Holy cow. Um, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. We have our uh, we had our first trimester sonogram. Uh, the the nurse that was in the room said to my wife, uh, "That's the most excited father I've ever seen in this room." <laughs> so, oh man, oh, you're gonna love it. I uh, uh, I am. My wife may hate me for mentioning it on this podcast, but uh, you know she's been pretty <laughs> fluid. She's she. I think she sees really just. I'm very excited. I'm. I'm very excited. Well, there's there's going to be a little bit of a delay between tonight that we're recording and when this airs. So you you have some time to figure out how you can, uh, you know, let her know that that you you may have mentioned it. Good. Good. (laughs) Yeah. There's some there'll be some flowers and uh, and some uh, ice cream has been a big one so far. So get some flowers and ice cream going and then I should be able to soften that blow. Nice. So if you are friends with or fans of Julie, uh, send flowers and congratulations when you hear this. That is awesome. Thank you. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned one of the things you love about this genre being the, um, uh, the, the importance and, and love of literature itself. 
you know, the, the role that, you know, going and doing the research, going and reading a book, having the right, you know, the, the role that that plays. Um, given that and the fact that, you know, our, our careers involve books, my hunch is that you may be a little bit of a book nerd yourself. Uh, which leads me to a question that I, I really enjoy asking people, which is, were you a weird kid? Was I a weird kid? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, weird. I don't, weird is a strange word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I was. I, I loved learning. I've always loved learning. And I think in elementary school in particular, uh, that was never really like the cool choice. <laughs> um, I mean, I always read the books. I was, I always had questions for the teachers. I always had my homework done. I remember in seventh grade, I had a, a homework assignment in Latin class and I could not figure out how to do it. And I went into my parents' room crying. So I was like, mom, I can't turn in my Latin homework. I don't know how to do this. And she was like, you need to calm down. <laughs> can't do it it's very possible that no one can do it and it may just be uh you know unclear you guys may not have learned this yet sure enough the next day i found out that in fact no one had been able to do the latin homework and then i started learning i think of a pretty valuable lesson of like kind of chilling out a little bit um i was just very i think i was a very anxious kid and uh sort of high strung and i've always been pretty energetic but uh for me getting older has been sort of about kind of softening the edges a little bit and kind of being able to meet people, myself included in the middle on things. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I grew up loving to read and, uh, and I was doing commercials and stuff when I was young. And so, um, yeah, but I also, you know, I played sports and did all that kind of stuff. And, uh, my brother's only 14 months younger than I am. So, uh, I always had kind of a best friend and my brother's bigger than I am. So he was always my protector too. So, uh, so I had somebody to look out for me while I was being weird and kind of trying to figure it all out. Are you still weird? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I spend in a vertical coffin talking to myself. So one of the things that, that, uh, interests me uh, about acting in general is the amount of time that we get to spend in somebody else's headspace. Um, I mean, it, it, to a, a, an incredibly intimate degree, um, how have you found or, or have you found um, that this process w with audiobook acting where you are so many characters um, and not just briefly, you know, because you, 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 you do long lasting, long running series where you revisit characters over and over again, um, but so many of them. How has that, I don't know if affected is the right word, um, but I'm going to use it for lack of a, a better one. How has that affected you as a person spending time in so many different headspaces and, and lives um, as you become these people? Well, I think any time you can spend invested in somebody else's story, and reflecting on somebody else's condition and empathizing with somebody else's reality just makes you um, a more well-rounded human being, a, a more empathetic person, a better member of a society or a community. For me, that first 
uh, move from Los Angeles, California to Johnson City, Tennessee, uh, was that first introduction to me of like, oh, right, there are other people who grew up different and have different ideas and different ways of living and a different set of values. And so for me, traveling has become an important part of my life, continuing to explore other cultures and traditions. And when I can't travel, uh, I get to do that through literature and through books. And a friend of mine wrote a collection of essays a couple years ago called The Empathy Exams, uh, Leslie Jameson. Mm -hmm. And in it, she really just explores the nature of human empathy. And I think really it's one of the most significant and important human emotions, our ability to think about others and feel how they feel about the world. Um, so getting to spend my time in other people's heads and other people's stories is just more time I get to spend uh, empathizing with the human condition and uh, and also getting to sort of uh, regale myself and enjoy living in other people's fantasies and stories and adventures. So uh, it's both like compassionate and exhilarating. Nice. I guess. So um, what what question do you wish people would ask you uh, either about acting or, or audiobook narrating or living in LA or, or, or whatever, um, out of all the questions you've, you've received, what do you find yourself wishing? God, I, I really wish somebody would bring up this. I, I want to talk about this. Uh, the question I wish people would stop asking me <laughs> is, do I still act? That's the question I, I wish people stopped asking me. Uh, the second you started that, I'm like, I really wish people would stop asking me if I'm still acting. Because um, the answer is yes, I am uh, a lot. Um, I, I can't really think of any specific question that I wish people asked me. I'm always grateful that people are talking to me. Uh, sometimes Julie and I will joke that you can tell if we spent a lot of time in the studio that day, cause we just start rambling when we're in front of another <laughs> human being, just like talking super fast and making a, a lot of eye contact and just soaking up human connection. So, um, yeah, I, mostly, I think if I can be an advocate for, uh, audiobook narration as acting, that would be great. That's my big thing. Nice. Nice. Um, so uh, aside from the, uh, the two Demon Accord books that are coming out in September, uh, mm -hmm. what else can we be on the lookout from James Patrick Cronin? Uh, I mentioned the Predator novelization yes. that I'm working on right now. Uh, Prof Croft is uh, that title's coming up really soon. Uh, I also just did a, a fantasy trilogy for Podium Publishing. Uh, that's another stupid trilogy where I play an orc. Uh, who has spell powers, but when he uses his spell powers, he loses his intellect. And um, so certain chapters are told uh, in the first person where he has zapped all of his intellectual power. And it's a lot of fun. Nice. Um, that one is, uh, it's called Another Stupid Trilogy. So you can look that one up uh, through Podium. I finished a, a sci-fi series with them as well. Um, that you can look up. They did them in, uh, it's the Rise of Mankind series, and they released them in two-part chunks. And they're really good. Like, if you're a Star Trek fan, mm -hmm. those are great books because each five-hour book is just, like, a mission from the team. And they get after it, something goes wrong, there's a villain, and they try and figure out how to right the wrong that has been set up. So I love that series. That one just came out. Um yeah, those are the those are the big ones. The Demon Chords is is continuing. The Compendium is going to come out with, I believe, 
a teaser for John Conroe's next series, which is Zone Wars, which I hope I'll get to narrate, but I'm not sure about that yet. So well, hopefully uh, you do. Yeah. Those are some of the things that, that are on the horizon. Very cool. And John, if you're listening, James would like to narrate that uh, the next series. <laughs> and we would like him to. Sweet. If it's not me, then hire James Anderson Foster, I say. You know, I, I've heard of that guy and he's not bad. So. Not bad. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, James, for, for spending uh, your, your time with me this evening. Uh, I really appreciate chatting with you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, God, I'm looking forward to getting this, getting this, uh, episode published so that, uh, people can hear from you and, and, you know, for, for folks that have somehow, uh, you know, managed to not come across your work in this genre, I don't know how you managed to pull it off, but if you did, then hopefully you can go out and fix it now. Uh, because, uh, James, you are, I, prolific was invented for the work that you do that that word um and i'm so glad because i enjoy it a lot of other people seem to enjoy it um thank you thank you so much and man keep doing it thank you thanks for having me on and thanks for giving all of us that love this genre uh, a space to come and talk about what we do and one of our passions ah, it's my pleasure all right man have a good night you too and I want to make sure to give a shout out to our patrons and supporters, beginning with Dogen Foster, C. Stephen Manley, Colleen Jackson, Audiobooks After Dark, the podcast of Paul Stokes, and Zachary McElroy. Thank you all so much. I, I, I appreciate your support so much. Uh, this wouldn't be possible without you. Um, and if you'd like to uh, support this podcast and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode, as well as a bunch of other cool uh, supporter-only stuff, head on over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizard level or higher. We'd greatly appreciate it. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash James Narrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back. Mm-hmm. <laughs>